Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I'm still in a series on healing, and uh, last week I started a message on faith for healing. We had a healing service several weeks ago without a healing message. And then I started a a series on healing. We looked at the miracles of Jesus, did a message on our covenant of healing. And then I was going to preach um, the beginning of this message, but we ended up having a Holy Ghost service. And so, Holy Ghost service? I don't remember Holy Ghost service. I don't remember anybody laughing and falling down. That's not what... If that's your definition of Holy Ghost service, it's not that narrow. What we had were the gifts of the Spirit flowing, words being uh, manifested and brought forth, and people being delivered from depression, among other things, words of healing. But the Holy Spirit just took over, and I I did not preach that day. Um, But we've had some exciting testimonies, and in fact, we've probably got time for one or two this morning. If anybody has said, oh, Pastor Scott, I need to let you know, my healing was manifest when we spoke that confession last week or through uh, the word that was brought forth the week before. Does anybody have a healing testimony you'd like to share right now? Sprung it on you. Maybe I should prepare you via email. That's fine. I'll, probably, I'll try to remember to do that because I know God's doing some things in your lives. Anyway, uh, so then last week I began this message, and I will finish it today. This is, this is on faith for healing uh, was, is the name of the whole message. Today we're looking at the faith Jesus looks for. And then next week, I want to, I intend to bring a message uh, about the connection between forgiveness and healing. And then the following week, Christopher Alam will be here, okay? And then we'll see where, where we go after that. But a little bit of recap from last week. Uh, kind of started off with the issue of God's sovereignty and the error of thinking that just because something happens, it must be God's will. If God is all-powerful, then nothing can happen that's not his will. But we see that that's an error, that God doesn't necessarily cause these things, that he has in his sovereignty, in his uh, omnipotence, he has yielded to us in many cases uh, to live with the consequences of our choice, to live with the benefits of our choice. Our belief, our faith has a big part to play. We are not going to thwart his ultimate plans, but we can easily stray from his will, and we can easily find ourselves living a life where we're not walking in his blessings, not because he doesn't desire us to be blessed, but because he's laid out a clear path that we often refuse to walk in, either out of sin uh, or defiance or possibly just ignorance. So... Uh, And then tied in with that, there's the charge against faith people that if we are declaring something, if we are speaking something, then we are somehow making God our servant, our genie, and that this somehow impugns God's sovereignty. But again, it boils down to the truth that when God makes a promise, when he makes his will known concerning a matter, we can and should pray and speak and confess in agreement with those promises. This is not, our confession, our faith's confession is not us twisting God's arm into doing something. It's simply putting ourselves in a posture of agreement with his word so that we can see his will manifested in our lives. It's not when we pray, uh, gee, I hope God will do this. When we're praying in faith, there's an expectation. Uh, Perfect faith is a certainty 
that we are going to see what God has uh, spoken, done in our lives. And so when we're talking about healing, often it simply boils down to this question. Is it always God's will to heal? And I think, scripturally speaking, it absolutely is. And I think the best answer to this, the best illustration of that answer, is the ministry of Jesus. This is still recap from last week. We see, of course, uh, that where he went, when people came to him for healing, he always healed them all, and he made the crucial statement that he only does what he sees his Father in heaven doing. It wasn't just a matter of, I'm only going to do, during my three, three and a half years of ministry on earth, it's not just, I'm only going to do what God tells me to do during this time. No, I do what I see my Father in heaven doing. He is the exact representation of the Father. He said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Therefore, if you want to know God's attitude about sickness, look at what I do. If, if the inscrutable will of God includes the mystery of Sometimes it is God's will for you to be sick because it's part of your maturing or growing process uh, or it's just for your ultimate good. If that's the case, then Jesus did not do a very good job of representing the Father because he never did that, never said that. If he wanted to show us what the Father is like, he had to do, he would heal within certain limitations, but he always healed them all. So, we moved on to how healing is wrapped up, this was kind of where we finished last week, in the atoning work of Christ uh, in, at the cross, and that it is a part of the whole package of salvation. It is not, you are saved, and then plus, on the side, you get some healing, you get some deliverance, you get some protection, uh, and you get some um, provision. It was that, the, that salvation itself includes healing, provision, protection, deliverance. It's part of the gospel. You remember, uh, a great example of this was when, in Paul when he was preaching in Lyconia or wherever he was, Iconium, and, and he was preaching to the crowds, and it says clearly he was preaching the gospel there, and there was a man who was crippled. Who he, he says while he was preaching the gospel, Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. Let's say Paul was he, teaching a, preaching a healing message. He was preaching the gospel. But what he was preaching produced faith in this man to be healed. Why? Because healing is part of the gospel. Now, like getting born again, like getting saved, salvation itself, just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen to you. We must believe our faith uh, is an important element, an uh, important ingredient in whether or not we are going to receive these things. And again, there's no better illustration of that truth than the ministry of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at some of the healings that he did and what he said about the people he healed. In Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. I'm going to read several of these to you, and then we'll tie them together, and we'll look for some common themes Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he went and saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them 
when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now we mentioned this a week or two ago that some translations say your faith has made you whole and it doesn't specify, doesn't spell it out, but I happen to give a lot of credence uh, to the idea that these were all cleansed. Their disease was arrested. They were no longer considered lepers. They were no longer contagious. They were no longer outcasts from society, all 10 of them. But this one who returned thanks was restored. No scars, whatever, whatever the leprosy had uh, taken from him was restored. Either way, the only reason I'm bringing this out is because Jesus did a miracle, healed 10 lepers at one time, and what he said to this guy was, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Now we've heard this, you've read the Bible, you hear him saying that, do you realize how significant it is and how it flies in the face? And how it is a different saying than, I have made you whole, I did a miracle, I uh, intervened in your situation, all these things were true. But what Jesus does is say, it's your faith that worked this in your life. The power was there. You made a pull on that. Uh, you were, you were, you were, you, by your faith, you received what I was here to do. Gives the guy, uh, the, his faith, a lot of the credit for his healing. And we'll see this again and again. Matthew 9 beginning in 27, when Jesus departed from there, Matthew 9, 27, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when, Jesus had, and when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched, <clears throat> excuse me, he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. Not according to God's will, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came, up, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he, he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, we're, we're going to tie these up here in just a second, but interestingly, as most of you know, when he did that, when the woman with uh, the issue of blood uh, happened, he was actually on his way to heal somebody else. 
Uh, you can go back to Mark, chap uh, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Then, this is when the woman with the issue of blood came up, interrupted the processional, and then we pick it back up in verse 35 of Mark 5. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. Now, this has been something that, and this isn't, most of you have heard me talk about this before. I'm sharing it again because I've had conversations with many that indicate and remind me that not everybody remembers everything I've taught before. You've got to hear it uh, from time to time, right? Right? Okay. He told more than one person after he healed them, See that you tell no one about this. Don't let anybody know about this. And there's been a lot of speculation over the years that why would he say this? Was it reverse psychology? Uh, the more he tells them not to, the more they're going to want to. I think that's, that's kind of a silly way of looking at it. He clearly knew word was going to get out anyway. But the weird thing to me is he did so many healings in the marketplace. And when multitudes came, he can't be telling everyone, don't tell anybody I'm doing this, don't tell anybody I'm doing this. He healed, he healed them all. He wasn't keeping his healing ministry a secret. So why ever tell somebody, don't tell somebody? And uh, from a faith perspective, one answer to that question that has been suggested over the years is, well, as soon as you tell somebody, you run the risk of encountering their doubt. They're going to challenge you and say, well, here's probably what really happened. This was sort of a psychosomatic illness in the first place, or it was the power of suggestion. Uh, and and the people will talk you out of your healing. I mean, I know people who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, spoken in tongues, and then had people talk them out of it. Well, here's what really happened to you. You were swept up in the moment. You were hysterical. Uh, there's, an, uh, there's always another explanation for what you think you experienced. Now, and there's, there's a validity to that, and you certainly don't want somebody to talk you out of your healing, right? But I think there's something deeper here, and I think it has to do with what Jesus did when he healed certain people. 
when he was called, uh, or when, when he was hollered at by the blind men, when he was cried out to by the lepers. You know, he told both of them, don't tell anybody. When he laid his hands on them. Uh, when, he had, when he went to Jairus' house, he, you know, Jairus came, please, please, I know you can do this. I've heard, I've heard about the healings you did. Maybe he'd seen some healings he did. I need you to come to my house and heal my daughter. And Jesus didn't argue, he just went. But when he uh, raised her from the dead, he said, don't tell anybody. I just want you to keep that in mind for a second. Because I want to contrast it with this. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So some come to him and say, If you are willing, I know you can do this. Some say, Please come, lay your hands on my daughter. One, even, one says, uh, If I just touch the hem of his garment. Now Jesus didn't correct her. Jesus didn't tell the woman with the issue of blood not to tell anybody. He did. In fact, there was quite a commendation there. Go your way. Your faith has healed you of your affliction. Your faith has made you well. But he also didn't gush over her like he did the centurion here. And I think it's this. In his compassion, we see that Jesus healed all who came to him but he seems to make a point of downplaying or at least not publicizing the miracles that require him to initiate the healing work, that require him to be physically present, to go through the ritual of laying on of hands, um, and to show up and specifically address their sickness. But he was on the way, he was on his way to heal a girl on the point of death and he stops long enough to commend a woman who simply received her healing by faith, even though she touched him. She didn't ask for him to heal her. She simply reached out and received it. But even more extraordinary is what Jesus says about the centurion. This is quite, uh, quite the accolade coming from Jesus. He's on his way. He's entered into Capernaum. Centurion says, my, he doesn't say, please come to my house. Please, Lord, please, 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 my, my favorite servant is dying. He says, my, my servant lies at the point of death. And Jesus says, I'll come heal him. He says, you don't need to do that because I understand authority. I am under authority and I have men under my authority. So I know what my limits are. I can't do whatever I want. I do whatever my commander tells me to do. But the men under me do whatever I tell them to do. I understand how this works. You don't need to be physically present. Just speak the word. 
Make your will known in this situation, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus stops and basically gets everybody's attention. This is the same Jesus who tells Jairus, who tells the blind man, see this, tells the leper, or, uh, uh, see that you tell no one about this. But he stops here and basically says, look, this is the kind of faith I'm talking about. This is the faith I'm looking for. You want an example? You want, you, this, is the, this is the kind of healing that I want you telling people about. I love you. I'm going to come heal whoever asks me. As long as I'm here, I'm going to heal everybody who comes to me for healing. But if you understood my power, you would understand that all it takes is a word. If you will receive the word, you will receive your healing. If you will believe it just because I have said it, then you are operating by faith. Now, I understand we can exercise faith for miracles, and miracles should certainly accompany the word. But as faith people, we should not be living from punctuated miracle to punctuated miracle. We should not feel when we walk out of a service that, oh, uh, God wasn't present there today because I didn't feel such and such. My skin didn't tingle. I heard a, I heard a guy, I have no idea who it was. I, I probably wouldn't share his name even if I did remember. But somebody many years ago said, you need to listen to this message on the anointing. And the guy early in the message said, let me explain what the anointing is. It's a feeling. It's like electricity. And it starts at the elbows, and it flows down the hands, and it feels sometimes almost like your, 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 your hands are numb, but it's this tangible. I'm like, you are describing one possible manifestation of the power of God in your life. That's not the definition of the anointing. And I understand it. I know what people mean. We need to be careful with our words. I understand it when people say, wow, God was in the service today. I know what they mean is that God manifested his presence in a way that moved them especially. And different things move different people. But how do I know that God is present in the service? There's two ways I know. Number one, I'm in the service. If I'm here, God's here because the Holy Spirit indwells me, right? And where two or more are gathered together, he's in our midst. How do I know that? Well, I walked in and I didn't feel it. Wonder where the Holy Spirit was. He's there. We know he is. But how do we know that? Because it's in the Word. Because Jesus told us this. If that's all the evidence we need, if that's all the authority we need, we are going to experience more. We are going to go to higher places. We are going to receive more because we require less proof. If we just hold his Word uh, in the esteem that it deserves to be held in, we will receive the healing. But again, we tend to require more evidence that we are healed than we do that we are saved. That's kind of where we ended up last week. You know, we, we, uh, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Because Jesus said, if I will confess and believe, I'm going. And that's all the proof I need is the word. How do I know I'm healed? Well, because uh, uh, it doesn't hurt anymore. No, I know I'm healed because he carry, he himself bare our sickness. He carried my, he took those stripes on his back uh, to take my diseases, to take my injuries, my, uh, anything that's plaguing me and robbing me of the good health I was meant and created to enjoy. He has carried that away. How do I know it's God's will to heal? Not because I have, it, not maybe, I mean right now, thank God, I'm healthy, uh, but maybe you think, well, I'm not healed yet. I know God can, and I know he wants to, but he hasn't done it yet. 
that's kind of misstating the situation. That's kind of like saying, I know he wants me saved, and I've called on the name of the Lord, but I cussed yesterday, so I know I'm not saved yet. He's still working on you. And the salvation is done. Your eternal destiny is secure. Healing is already done. God is not, there's nothing God needs to do for you to be healed any more than he needs to do anything. You know, Jesus isn't nailed on the cross fresh every time somebody gets saved. He did it once and for all 2,000 plus years ago. Same way with the healing. He took those stripes once and for all. Now, it may, healing may come uh, again miraculously manifested in a moment, the Holy Spirit working through the gifts, but we can all receive healing simply at his word. And I believe that is the kind of faith, it clearly was the kind of faith that pleased and impressed Jesus. I believe it's the kind of faith that pleases him today. I think that's where we're supposed to live. Uh, and I would remind you this, if we're willing to take him at his word and we see the I better have? Is that better? Okay. I keep my hands on my pockets. Uh, Take him at his word. Take him at his word! You guys remember that story? I won't tell it now, but it's, it's funny. Uh, if we're willing to take him at his word and expect to see that the circumstances change just because he said so, it's going, to be, it's going to be an amazing difference in our lives, but not just for our sake. We take all of everything he says at his word. Uh, and that includes obedience, not just receiving things. I'll come back around to that sometime, probably not today. But... Here was, here was where I was going with that. The centurion, Jesus didn't identify him as a covenant man. Now, he was a good man, and I think there's pretty good reason to believe that this centurion is the same guy as the centurion Cornelius that we read about in the book of Acts. Similar descriptions. It doesn't matter. I just think it's a curious possibility but either way, uh, this wasn't a Jewish guy. This is a Roman centurion. Uh, and it does not even say, there were proselytes, there were those who, uh, who were of the Jewish faith who were not born Jewish. That doesn't even specify that he was that. He simply respected the God of, of the Israelites, and he gave alms to the poor. He was a good man, uh, and uh, he responded in faith. And it's what Jesus said. He goes, there's going to be, come, there'll be many coming from outside Israel, outside the bloodline of Abraham, there will be many who will come into the kingdom. And many, it's supposed to be your covenant right. When he talks about sons of the kingdom, he's not talking about born-again people. He's talking about Jews, people who are supposed to be walking in this uh, beneficial covenant relationship with God. He goes, many of them are going to be cast into outer darkness because they don't believe. He's uh, prophesying here about what we, exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts. So, this guy, who wasn't even a Jewish proselyte, received healing for his servant, received accolades from the Lord Jesus Christ for his faith. 
All because he understood authority. He understood the power of the word. But he was outside the covenant. How much more can we, as a covenant people, inheritors of a gospel that has healing built right into it, how much more should we expect to receive by faith? I've got a lot of room to grow in this area. I think a lot of you do too. I think God's, God has... This is just so ingrained in me from Doug Jones uh, all those years ago at Ramah, uh, this idea. And I don't know if he phrased it this way, but it's this whole idea that uh, faith, we almost see faith as I'm going to get God in this arm lock. Uh, I'm not going to force him to do something against his will. I know it's his will, but I've got to really press in there. And it's like God's like, ah, come on, I've got, see, see if you can pry my hands open so I can give you this blessing that I've said is yours. That's not the way it is, is it? But a lot of the, and it's revealed in the way we pray sometimes, that a lot of what we call faith is us trying to get God to do something rather than beginning in the conviction that God has already done it. Faith isn't us trying to get God to do something. Faith is us trying to get ourselves in a position to receive what he's already done. Amen? Back to the, the whole bank account analogy, right? It's in your account. We need to learn how to make a withdrawal on that. So it's exciting when we realize what is built into this covenant. And this is where we're going to go in just a little bit. We're going to take communion. But when Jesus announced the new covenant, and, and, and by the way, a little bit of preview for next week. So much of... Uh, the connection between sickness and sin is clear. And it goes back to the garden. There was no sickness in the garden before Adam and Eve fell. That's what introduced every manifestation of the curse uh, into the world. Uh, and when Jesus healed, uh, and when he, when, he, when he ministered to the woman caught in adultery, look how many times he said, go, go and sin no more. said to the man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, that's kind of scary stuff. You get a miraculous healing, and then you're walking around in fear for the rest of your life. If, if I say the wrong thing, think the wrong thing, how bad do I have to sin? Something worse than being paralyzed for 38 years is going to come upon me. But the old covenant, sin, and it was all symbolic, it all pointed to the cross, but every time you sinned, you had to make a sin offering to get back in re right relationship with God. What did Jesus do at the cross? He did once and for all what these Old Testament sacrifices and these Old Testament rituals did temporarily and symbolically. Jesus did it for real, and he did it forever. So when he says, hey, I've got this new covenant, oh, wow. Oh, wow, is it better. And this is what we're going to look at today in just a little bit when we prepare to receive from the Lord's table. And... Uh, ushers, I guess you can probably give the teachers a heads up. They don't need to be in here right this second, but we're moving that way quickly. Uh, the classes that are kind of come in and receive communion with us anyway. And praise and worship team, you can come up here. Because we are going to receive communion, and that is going to be our healing service today. Okay? We are going to look just briefly at what Jesus said about the bread and the cup, what Paul said about the bread 
and the cup. And when we receive communion, that is instead of laying hands on you, instead of anointing with oil, instead of leading you in confession, we are going to receive what these elements symbolize, and that includes health for the body. So our communion is our healing service today. The celebration of the Lord's table celebrates his resurrection, memorializes his death, celebrates his resurrection, and celebrates our being part of a new covenant. And it's a good, good covenant. The healing I'm talking about, stand up for just a minute. I'll let you sit down in a second. I want everybody awake for this part. The healing that we're talking about, the provision, the, the, all the benefits of salvation are for the saved. The blessings that God pronounced on his people clear back in Deuteronomy, well before that, but recounted in Deuteronomy, were for his people. I think it's wonderful that even back under the law, there was provision for those outside the covenant to get in the covenant. The stranger who came in and adopted, was adopted into his kingdom, his people. Again, proselytes, goes clear back to the Old Testament, way early Old Testament. But God, when he spoke these blessings and promises, he didn't say, I love all mankind, so I'm going to heal all their diseases, and I'm going to provide for them abundantly. It's like, no, these are for my people. Now, the good news is, anybody can be my people, but these promises, the deliverance, the protection, the healing, the provision, these are for my people, and that's what we're going to celebrate here at communion. But I want to do this first. Uh, we do open communion here. I know I haven't done the communion meditation yet. But that just means you don't have to be a member of Living Word Family Church. You do have to be saved before you take communion. And so if we're going to receive this covenant of healing, celebrate this covenant of healing, you need to make the decision first to be in covenant. And that only happens as you confess the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead. Then salvation is yours. Confession is made unto salvation. That is 100% based on what Jesus did at the cross. It's not, well, I want to be a Christian someday, but I know i got to do this, 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 and that. You don't have to do anything. You have to believe. You receive salvation, how? By faith. Faith in what? The revealed will and the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It has been done. Sin is what stands between us and everything that God wants for us. Sin is what stands between us and God. And there's only one way to be free of that, to remove the sin barrier, and it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. God is good and God is love, but God himself declared. God, God takes holiness serious enough. He is holy. And he cannot make us holy by simply saying, I love you, so I'm going to forget about your sin. There's a debt. There's a price that has to be paid. And the bad news is, your blood ain't good enough. My blood ain't good enough. Only Jesus' blood is good enough. And only Jesus is big enough to spill enough for the world. But if you decide today, I want that. I know that you as a man, you as a woman, uh, you as a child, you might not be able to say to me, Scott, I don't want to go to hell. But I'm not ready to promise I'll never sin again. I know myself too well. That's not what I'm asking you. 
I'm asking you to recognize that Jesus Christ already paid that price. Will you just receive it without thinking you have to earn it? So I can pray this prayer and get saved and I never have to worry about what I do again. Well, you never have to worry about it, but God's going to mess with you, I promise. He'll change you. But it will be him doing the work in you, not him requiring requiring the work of you. So, having said that, is there anybody in here today who says, I need it. I messed up, not sure what my next step's going to be, but I want to walk out of here unsaved. I desire to confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and receive that free gift of salvation today. Will you just, by a simple show of hands, say, yep, that's me. Quickly. It's, it's just eternity. It's just heaven and hell we're talking about. Don't miss this opportunity. Everybody up here? You good to go? Anybody? Let me pray this real quick. Heavenly Father, if there's anybody in here who needs to make that decision, maybe they didn't walk in here knowing they needed to make that decision, but they just realized they did. Father, let them know that that's you beating at the door of their heart. Convict them of their need. Convince them of their need. And grant them the courage, the boldness, whatever is needed, the humility to recognize it, the boldness to seize this opportunity, and the wisdom to seize it now. In Jesus' name. Raise your hand quickly. I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. I'm not even going to have you come up here. Just raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. Need to get saved. All right. Praise the Lord. Now we, can be, now we are ready to uh, receive from the Lord's table. You can go ahead and be seated again. And I'm going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul writes this, beginning in verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to remind you here that when we talk about salvation, there is nothing in the law that I see that would require his body to be broken for us to be saved. His blood had to be shed. His life had to be given. But his body was broken for us. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to come back to that after I read the rest here. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, meaning they've died prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Now, I will and have done a sermon-length explanation of some of this stuff. I just want to focus on a couple of the details because there's more than one layer to this. We've talked about how when Jesus 
uh, his body was broken for us. And talking about discerning the Lord bo- Lord's body, one important way of looking at, at this is the Lord's body. In fact, this is what started Paul down this road as he's writing. I know he's, being, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he was angry uh, or he's withholding praise from the Corinthian church because of how they were doing communion. He was telling me, you're not doing communion at all. You're just bringing bread and wine to church and you're eating it. You're not waiting for one another. You're not sharing with the person who doesn't have any. If you're just going to eat and drink, do it at home. That's not what this is about. This is about celebrating a covenant. And because you are not doing it right, or in other words, you are drinking it in an unworthy manner, you are not experiencing the benefits of it which include health and long life. Because you are not properly discerning the Lord's broken body, you are not healed. There is healing in the blood covenant. And there is healing in the broken body of Jesus Christ. When it says, eat and drink in an unworthy manner, He's not saying, if you're not a Christian or if you're not a good Christian, we used to do all that, thing. let's take a moment, and there's nothing wrong with a moment of quiet meditation before we eat and drink, but it used to be that's the time where you're like, dear God, please forgive all my sins, please forgive my sins, because I sure don't want, to, I don't want to eat and drink judgment and death and sickness to myself. And it's like God's going, ah, you are eating and drinking, but you haven't confessed your sin. Kapow! That's not what that's talking about at all. It's not you being unworthy, partake of the cup, it's you taking of the cup and the bread in an unworthy manner, not discerning the value, not discerning the blessing and the promise that are tied up in this sacrament. It's not a sacrament. Depends on how you define sacrament. Simple definition of sacrament is a means of grace. So I can call this, I believe it is a sacrament in that sense, all right? I don't believe in trans substantiation or anything like that but if you want to call it an ordinance that's fine too but wrapped up in this ordinance slash sacrament there is healing there is provision there is forgiveness it is a celebration of a covenant an agreement uh, that is based on promises remember old covenant promises were good it's just that our sin kept mankind from walking in them regularly the new covenant is based on it's a better covenant based on what better promises. And probably the best thing about it is what we are doing when we eat this bread and drink this cup is celebrating that it is done. We celebrate that he has already paid the price. All these things that the Bible says are ours, if we do this, he's done them for us and we are in him. And included there, always near the top of the list, is healing. So when we receive the broken body of Jesus Christ and then wash it down with the blood of Christ, there, it's a twofold message here that, have to, that has to do with healing. One, the body, again, was broken specifically for our healing. Even the healing of the body of Christ, where there is division, he knits us together. But as individuals, he heals our body, and he makes that clear with those stripes, with the breaking of his body. And it's the blood that entitles us to every good thing he promises to the righteous because what? His blood makes us righteous. This is a big deal. This is a big moment. So I want you to stand with me and let's prepare to receive the bread and remember this is our healing service.
You receive these in a worthy manner. You receive these elements as Jesus meant them to be received. You will be healed. And I want to hear testimonies from the healings that were manifested as a result of this moment of sharing in the Lord's Supper. I want to hear from you. I want you to share them with the congregation next week. For now, let's take the bread. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your body to be broken so that we could be whole, so that we could be well, so that we could be healed. Forgive us for ever treating this part of communion casually. Forgive us to ever, for ever thinking even for a moment, why mess with the body? It's all about the blood. Your body was broken for us. And we receive it joyfully, soberly, seriously, and we receive it by faith. We receive now the healing you purchased with those stripes on your back and your broken body. Thank you for the bread in Jesus' name. Take the cup. Father, thank you for this cup. We thank you for what it represents. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which alone can make us clean before you. But let us not forget that you have indeed made us clean. Forgive us for ever groveling before you, asking you for forgiveness that you already purchased for us over 2,000 years ago. Just with, along with anything else you ask, let us find ourselves coming boldly before your throne because you see us as righteous because you are able to place us in Christ only because of the blood of Christ. We receive this blood or we receive this cup remembering that the blood of Christ has qualified us for everything you promise the righteous. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for this cup in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.